Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Um, we welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk uh, technology, computing, the internet, uh, crypto, um, all kinds of stuff. Um, space, as it happens, which we'll, we'll talk to you about uh, a little bit later on in the show. But um, tonight, uh, very pleased to be uh, warming a computer screen with Mr. Dan Salmon. Dan, how are you? I'm very well, Warren. Yourself? Doing good. Doing good. Have you... Um, been winning or losing in, in technology this week? Oh, look, it's been it's been a win this week. I think um, nothing's gone wrong, and I'm going to count that as a win. All of my all of my videos weren't glitchy. All of my uh, social media interactions were respectful. It's been a good week. Nice. You didn't. You haven't been winding up journalists or, or doing anything like that. <laughs> what, what, what kind of person do you think I am, Warren? I exactly that kind of person. Yeah. No. 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 I haven't been doing that. <laughs> Good job. Maze Wallen is also uh, in the, the, the Zoom space. Um, how are you, Maze? I'm good. Um, my technology this week, I'm finishing up a last couple of video game contracts, tossing up whether I should be um, hiring musicians or playing instruments myself, been doing some um, online remote musician recording, which has been fun. Um, but yeah, it's working out. There are some cool platforms out there now. Um, thanks to, to COVID. So, yeah, it's been good. What what instrument have you had to learn the fastest to, to get something made in a game? I'd be curious. <laughs> well, um, I bought a ukulele on Friday and um, <laughs> apparently it went from Sydney to Texas and then arrived in Melbourne yesterday. What? I spent three three hours getting the strings to, to stop um, moving around. So, ukulele strings are made of nylon which means that they're really stretchy um so but i mean as a guitarist it wasn't wasn't really learning but yeah it was nice to play play a part that was a little bit too high for guitar on ukulele and i and i was going to hire someone else to do it but decided no i'll buy myself a little treat (laughs) (laughs) i like it and why not um, I'll be with you on the show tonight also. Uh, I'm Warren Davies, and it's looking good. Um, very excited to be uh, with you all. Um, with a biological or, or technological, uh, no system, um, as we've found on the show, is immune to failure. And System Error uh, is a, a new show or piece that contemplates the shared disquiet we feel towards the frailties and imperfections that make us human. Um, while questioning the increasingly dependent and integrated relationship between human bodies, brains, and technology. And uh, in a few minutes on the show, we'll be talking to the creators behind System Error, um, which will be exciting. Um, We'll also uh, be entering the world of vaccination certificates and passports soon. Um, There's a lot of money flying around to to get these uh, fancy things right. Um, And there's been some concerns raised on the security of these. Uh, We'll be joined by security expert uh, AJ Uni from Stickman Cyber uh, a little bit later in the show to talk about um, vaccination certificates, um, which is interesting. I'm very curious about that Um, and whether QR codes are sticking around or not. I I do have to know. Um, but before then, uh, there is heaps of news uh, going on. And uh, Maze, there's been something, Apple are being caught, as they usually are. They, they should probably just have their own court, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's a fair amount of Apple news this week. Um, uh, so 
you know, if you've been listening to some of the more game-specific shows, you know that we've been following um, Epic's court case against Apple, which came up with um, their game Fortnite wanting to create their own payment services and and handle payments outside of the Apple ecosystem. Um, Fortnite, you know, is kind of the new metaverse at this at this point, so it kind of makes sense for them to want to deal with their own payments. This isn't something Apple was really happy about, um, but the court case revolved around whether Apple has a monopoly on um, shop fronts on phones, um, and that didn't quite go through um, because, you know, the court ruled that Apple doesn't have a monopoly on phones, um, though I'm sure we know they wish they did. Um, but one thing did come through, which is quite cool, and that is the judge has ordered Apple to now allow apps that link to external payment options. So, you know, this is great for video games. Um, but also cool for, you know, maybe other apps like educational apps or, you know, apps that sell um, fashion or something like that or or sell other kind of services um, where, you know, they make enough profit that they would be concerned about Apple taking more than maybe what they deserve. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think a, a win for um, a lot of independent businesses, even if it has come from um, Epic, who is, who is not. <laughs> but, yeah, good news, I think. Mm. It's interesting that the judge called uh, or said that Apple had no competitors of any kind and was a monopoly of one, um, which is interesting. I mean, you know, kind of defines what a monopoly is. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. I mean, anything that kind of artificially pushes up the price of commodities, um, as you mentioned, is um, uh, not doing anyone a favour uh, except the owners of that um, monopoly. So that's great news. Yeah, you know, part of what Epic was saying was, oh, this will be great for developers, but we all kind of knew that well, Epic just cares about its own its own wallet yeah um, look i mean Fortnite. let's not forget that it is indeed a billion dollar company in its own right let's so they're, they're, they're they might be a minnow in the in the gaming community but they're still not a small company no they are not and um you know like a, a very large portion of them is owned by um tencent you know and it has ties to other kinds of um interesting chinese agendas um so yeah <laughs> they'll be <laughs> There'll be some interesting things to watch out for, um, but this one is a nice little win for, for independent developers, I think. Nice. Um, continuing the, the Apple theme, um, there is a bit of an urgent update maze, I believe, that um, what those products should be doing. Yeah, so a really large security um, kind of update that they've put out, um, a really big vulnerability. I think, you know, this update is really important for a lot of creators because a lot of people have resisted updating their Macs especially um, because of how recently they have ditched 32-bit support. Um, so I think amongst my colleagues, you know, game developers and sound designers, um, that has been kind of the big one of like, oh, finally moving on from Mojave and going on to Big Sur um, and seeing what apps and games are no longer supported as of the kind of 32 to 64 bit. So, yeah, I think everyone go and update your Apple devices, um, you know, for, for this security, but also 
have a look at, at what apps um, you might be losing along the way because it, it has been a large OS update as well. There is um, just, a, I guess, around the Apple News, there is a, a, a sort of generational release of um, uh, different devices um, coming out uh, later in the month depending on where you are uh, around the world. So uh, the iPhone 13 uh, will land. Um, it's an update from, from last year's iPhone 12. So um, we are about you if you're one of those people who do like to update their phone um, every year. Probably the best thing you can do is hang on to your phone for as long as it'll uh, reasonably work. That's the right thing to do. But um, <laughs> if you are running a, a, an iPhone 3, um, probably now worth changing, um, despite that lovely retro feel that you've got going on there. Um, and, and the glass cutting against your face when you put the glass up against your ear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, so iPhone 13, um, they've got a, uh, they're very excited about a faster chip um, which uh, and um, larger batteries, which will uh, allow sort of between 1.5 and 2.5 hours uh, more use each day, which is great. Um, there's, uh, I had to, yeah, I had to figure this one out. There was, um, they've upgraded the cameras, which is good, but they've been able to reduce the notch on the front of the device. And I've got, I've got a 12 and the notch is actually kind of like a, a raised edge around the cameras um, so you don't bash the, um, the camera um, mm. and the phone down flat. So they've reduced that a bit, which is good. Um, but there's also uh, a bunch of updates to other devices, as I mentioned. They've got um, uh, a new watch coming out or a new version of the, the watch, which um, by default you would assume bigger, faster, longer battery life, et cetera. Bigger notch on the watch. Uh, Less notches. Less notch um, on the watch. Lower notches. <laughs> um, there, I, yeah, I, I've, I've had one for a little while. I haven't had any cracks to the screen, but um, uh, the, the sort of uh, crack resistance is a bit better on this one. But um, probably the, the thing that's been most um, looking for an update is the um, uh, the iPads. And the iPad uh, mini has had a, a bit of an update. It's got squared off edges, edge-to-edge uh, -edge screen, which is really good, uh, especially on the smaller devices. Um, and they've shifted the Touch ID sensor um, on the power button um, at the top of the screen and, and a few other bits and pieces. So it's a bit of a um, slicker device. But, um, yeah, hold on to your devices if you can. It's probably better. Um, one of the, the, I guess, the the um, concessions they're making to, to doing the right thing is um, the um, the bands for the new um, uh, the antenna bands for the new phones are made from um, upcycled plastic water bottles. Um, more importantly, a lot of the rare earth metals um, in the uh, internals for uh, some of the phones um, are made from recycled materials as well. So, I mean, you'd like to think they're doing that for the right reasons, but it's probably even just a little bit cheaper than mining them in the first place. So, um, but at least they're recycled materials, which is good. But um, yeah, uh, new uh, new phone, new watch, uh, updated iPad mini, um, the fan boys, girls, and, and others out there. Um, get your Apple kit. I did wonder how often, you know, what new phone sales are really like over 2020 and 2021. You know, like um, I, our our phone bill came in um, yesterday along with the internet and, and it was like, hang on, <laughs> I haven't used my phone in two years. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, um, so I wonder 
I wonder what that sale is is going to be like, you know, maybe in the US where they're feeling free and they, you know, kind of want to strut their stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Like people are spending a lot of more money on things. I've, I've, I would not discount the the kind of joy that people will get just from having something shiny delivered to their front door. Ah, uh, mm. that's true. Yeah, that's that's very. Let's very, let, let let's not discount true. the human the human capacity for materialism. Um, uh, speaking of things that are, are quite expensive, um, Canva, um, local legends, um, uh, based in Sydney, but um, basically all around the world now, uh, have, um, uh, I guess, hit a purple patch. Um, they've had a fresh injection of uh, capital and a new market valuation has pushed pushed them up to US $40 billion, uh, which makes them uh, bigger than Telstra and Rio Tinto uh, on paper. Um, so the startup that was uh, begun in, I think, 2013 uh, has been doing very well. Um, if you don't know what Canva do, um, they are a, uh, I guess, software as a service um, provider that helps with um, presentations, photography, um, making posters. Um, yeah, if you don't have, say, the Adobe Suite or something like that, um, they're very good to work with and, and in browser and so forth. Um but yeah, they've been doing very well. Um, I did read something the other day that it's very hard to get a developer in Sydney at the moment because Canberra have hired a thousand people um, in the past six wow. months. Whoa, um, that is a huge amount. Which is crazy. Um, it's just it's not even the same business when you think about it, right? You know, a thousand people. Um, but um, wow. yeah, it's 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 refreshing to read that. Um, I mean, they're not unique, but um, two of the co-founders, uh, Melody Perkins and, and Cliff Obrecht, who, who got married at the start of the year. Um, about 30% of the um, value of the business, but um, they've committed to investing um, a significant chunk of that to philanthropic causes and, and don't really see themselves as as billionaires, but just kind of looking after the cash um, for other people. Um, so that's good. Um, but, yeah, Canva, uh, absolutely killing it. And uh, I'd like to think there's some old school companies out there kind of like choking on their um, financial review today kind of... <laughs> Grumbling. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just hoping that their wedding invitation was done with Canva. Oh, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> You'd hope. You'd hope. With the watermark in the corner. <laughs> um, made, made with Canva, paid for by Canva. <laughs> exactly. Um, Dan, you've also been watching some um, some threats that have been uh, floating around that we should be aware of. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, it, it's possibly not the not the best news, uh, but the Australian Cyber Security Centre has uh, dropped its annual uh, cyber security report or cyber annual cyber threat report. Sorry. Um, and the big takeaway is that with people uh, online a lot more this year, it, as for obvious reasons, the threats uh, to cybersecurity have increased uh, considerably. Uh, there, the, in the last year, there has been a uh, cyber attack against an Australian target every eight minutes, which is uh, down up from every 10 minutes last year. So um, that's obviously not not the best thing. Um, it's a 13% increase from the last financial year. Um, a higher proportion of the cybersecurity incidents were categorised by the Australian Cybersecurity Centre as substantial in impact. Um, and this is due, according to the ACSC, um, in part to an increased reporting of attacks by cyber criminals and larger organisations uh, and the observed impact of these attacks on the victims, including several cases of data theft and or services rented offline. Obviously, in the last year, we've seen there's definitely been, I, I feel, a proliferation or an increase in the, the ones that get reported, particularly ones that are done by state actors or um, those who might be sponsored by state actors. 
I think it's just a timely reminder that um, check your passwords. Make sure your password isn't P-A-S-S-1-2-3. Um, and <laughs> if, um, you know, just, just be mindful of, you know, phishing, phishing attempts and all the rest of it. Like the, the information's out there. Um, we're, we're not, I, I would not say that we're necessarily um, uh, oblivious to this kind of stuff, but, you know, there are certainly people who aren't as digitally savvy um, who possibly are high, uh, bigger targets um, and maybe, you know, if you know someone who's like that, maybe reach out to them and uh, teach them a couple of things about changing their password to something more secure. That is a good idea. Um, another good idea is trying to find uh, other ways to, to work together. Obviously, we've all spent a lot of time, uh, people who work in uh, offices or, or, or teams or, or even just distributed teams, to um, find better ways to work. We're all feeling a little bit tired of, of looking at our own faces on screen. So um, companies around the world are looking to the metaverse to find other ways to uh, work together. And um, I didn't want this one to slip by without having a bit of a chat about it because, I don't know, I think it's just very present for us at the moment. Um, so, yeah, um, struggling, with, uh, struggling with Zoom fatigue, um, companies looking at things um, that you wouldn't usually expect um, to find uh, in an email, such as let's go and have this one in Minecraft or um, let's jump on Roblox or, or what have you. But um, they're finding, the companies that have been doing this have been finding um, through a, a, a Stanford University study in, in virtual human interaction that um, things are working a little bit better. Um, so some of the things that you don't get in kind of more formal settings like a video meeting um, uh, such as these kind of uh, created environments. You get to have more of these um, water cooler type conversations and also things such as um, using spaces such as town hall meetings, um, you get opportunities to kind of structure things in a more human kind of way so people get to list when they want to speak, how they want to speak. Um, and I guess for, for people who aren't the first people to sort of step forward and, and, and say a lot, you know, um, whether we do it ourselves or whether we know people that, that do this, there's always someone who wants to fill the space. Um, other people get a chance to speak. But, um, Dan, Maisel, what, what do you think about um, sort of coming together in these kinds of spaces versus video? Yeah, we had um, a team bonding session and we all attended Ariana Grande's um, concert in Fortnite. And, you know, that was great. We didn't get any work done, but we definitely got some team bonding done. Um um, yeah, I think... And no one got drunk and called anybody anything, did they? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I th uh, the Ariana Grande concert was actually great for us because we're all in different time zones anyway. Um, so yeah. it was it, it was a kind of a like, all right, so it's 6am for me, but it's 10pm for you, so you can drink, but I'm just going to get like really hype for work right now. <laughs> um, yeah, we've... Another team that I've worked with, we've looked at some of the more virtual office type ones. Um, and then even, you know, Microsoft has the together mode, which is entertaining. But things like screen share is something that we really need a lot, um, which is a little bit harder in in some of the virtual spaces. Um, yeah, but, you know, as, as game developers, we're definitely looking towards games um, to have some team bonding and things like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and what about yourself? Look, at the risk of sounding like a curmudgeonly old man, I want nothing to do with the metaverse. I, <laughs> I, I'm quite happy trying to do my best to remain in this universe. I'm, I want to reach out to people and see them in the flesh before I go online. I've spent enough time online without pretending that it's somewhere else this year. Uh, 
I'm not side with you there a bit. My, my job's a little bit like Mario Kart anyway, so I, I don't really need it to look like Mario Kart as well. Um, <laughs> anyway. Put a couple of guests on Skype there. We do have a couple of guests. Um, we're very excited to have uh, two of the creators behind uh, the show System Error, uh, which is a, um, I guess, a chambermaid production. Uh, I guess the intricacies of a relationship will always kind of uh, come undone here. But um, it's a fantastic show. Um, it's the sort of thing that we come across, um, and we don't always pick up um, art, um, on this show, but once we saw what was involved here in the thinking, we just thought, um, this is great. We'll have to have a chat about it. Um, I guess the thing that we're most excited about, um, but not the only thing we're excited about, is at the works core is this big, vast, bespoke instrument uh, designed by uh, Alastair McIndoe um, that sees electrically conductive tape function as a live circuit um, activated through touch um, throughout the show. So it's kind of part installation, part musical device, part kinetic art. Um, but, yeah, uh, Tamara and Alastair are, are in the Skype room right now. Um, good evening to you both. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious to know, um, was, did this kind of start at a garage somewhere or in some weird kind of space and then you're like, maybe we've got a show in this? Was it just someone mucking around on a Saturday afternoon? What what kind of happened here? I, I mean, I, I do a lot of mucking around on Saturday afternoons, that's absolutely for sure, and that completely feeds into bigger scale outcomes. Um, and, yeah, so the, the kind of background interest in in touching circuits absolutely comes from uh, me playing with circuits um, uh, to begin with it was circuit bending and, and which is where you sort of um, open up existing circuits and toy with them to find new um, uses for them um, particularly popular in music and sound world um, and one of the one of the ways that you um, can experiment with circuit bending very easily is literally opening up, up a circuit as long as the voltage isn't too powerful and the, and the amplitude mm -hmm. Of the, of the voltage, um, you can literally just touch the circuit to make um, uh, connections within the circuit using the resistance of your skin to kind of discover new functionality. It is with synthesizers, electronic musical toys, etc. Um, so, it, so touching circuits to make sound is something that I started quite a while ago um, through circuit bending, and it was sort of on reserve as a possible idea to bring into a bigger project. Um, for many, many years. Um, and when Tamara and I started kind of talking creatively around the project, uh, at one point she brought in um, some images of a touch capacitance uh, MIDI controller. And I, and I kind of had this like light bulb moment. I was like, oh, dude, you know, we should check this, you know, check, yeah. So, I, so the first thing we did was actually make a um, sort of no input mixer using um, our fingers to um, to kind of feed back audio into a mixer. Um, and, yeah, and I guess the rest is just, uh, you know, history. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask about um, some of your influences. You know, there are, there are other kind of contemporary live tech artists like Non-Attack or even kind of Ryoji Aikida or even, you know, looking at your show, the use of the stage and the pacing and the symmetry and colours, you know, kind of reminds me of, like, Einstein on the Beach by Philip Glass and those kinds of, like, 60s, 70s era experimental stage performance. Like, so, you know, what what is the palette of influences from other artists that kind of make up this show? Tamara's on mute, everyone. 
thanks. Classic. I took myself off mute earlier. Um, lo- loving all those references, Maze. Um, you know, we we would we kind of jokingly would talk about the Ryoji kind of reference in terms of some of the visuals. That was certainly a, a reference at some point, and and actually that we also talked about some of that kind of minimalist compositional styles mm. that you're referring to with Einstein on the beach. In fact, there's one section which we call the Reich section. Oh, awesome. so, <laughs> so, yeah, look, I think I probably, you know, uh, it's, it's a pretty, it moves around a lot of places <laughs> in terms of the kind of the references. Certainly there was lots of um, the, the, Source materials for a lot of the um, archival sound stuff we use was from kind of quite somewhat dated um, uh, documentaries around, you know, the, the singularity and the uh, the technocalypse was one of the, um, mm. the documentaries that we referenced quite a bit. So I think there was kind of art references and then there was these also these um, – other more thematic references that we were drawing from, but quite wide-ranging, I'd say. It was awesome to hear some Australian accents, um, speaking of some of the audio content, you know. Was, yeah, I, I was like, oh, yeah, it's us again. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I was also wondering, you know, speaking of the, the stage, like often with these kinds of like alternative controllers for music or, or games, you know, we place – small restrictions on like the code side maybe around like quantizing or allowing players to trigger things even if they're not entirely accurate like it's a it's kind of a cross between like ux and composition and like djing like so you know how do you think about that as dancers and composers like what what kind of little intersections were really key in your designs there uh yeah i I mean one thing that was really key is that Tamara and I were in the room for every day that the work was in development. So what that meant was mm. um, the system was designed around whatever we were exploring and, and it was kind of what we were exploring is kind of broken up into these kind of little microcosmic worlds. So the device gets used um, in, in various ways to express the musical ideas we were exploring and the way the interface responds to touch was designed specifically for each of those ideas. So whether we're touching it with our feet or fingers, for instance, has a, has a big impact on um, playability and, and how to interpret that data and turn it into musical ideas. So, so I think a key component is that, that the, the, the creative development and the technical development ran, you know, kind of in parallel the entire time and it enabled us to sort of... Um, explore the potential for both and and how they'd feed each feedback on each other so i'd sort of go oh we could try oh what about if we try treating the tape like this and then that would spark a a kind of choreographic or a musical investigation or tomorrow would say oh what about some music that kind of expresses this feeling or you know references this idea and then i go oh how can i technically achieve you know a user interface that will you know kind of accommodate um uh a musician's a musical experience uh, with the tape and that compositional context. So, so it's a kind of constant feedback. And, and had had we had to 
developed them in isolation, I just can't imagine we would have found half of the ideas we did. And it's very hard to track back that chaotic, you know, um, back and forth thing that happens in the, in the studio. But I do know that it's important. It was important in this show for sure. I'm interested to know um, when you when you watch the show, um, you get a real sense of how tactile you you find technology. I'm not sure if that's just just when you're working in this way, but in in your life elsewhere as well. Do, do you feel in 2021 most people have a, a sort of physical experience of technology, or do you, do you feel we're a little bit separate to it? What's your view there? I think that we are. Uh, the, the idea, the idea of separating um, man-made things and nature-made things, to me, is kind of a bit of a farce. I mean, anything that is made by humans, humans are natural. I don't know. So, um, technology is an extension of our bodies. They kind of are our bodies. Um, uh, you know, they'll grow, will grow. Um, I think. I think there's issues to be addressed to do with power and control and ownership um and, and there there's a rolling battle that needs to happen so that so that technology is owned by the people and not by a person um but yeah I, I i uh i think we're always um diving deeper into extending our physical potential with technology ever since we started you know having tools very basic tools many many centuries ago so yeah i think it's a inevitable um journey we're on i don't think we'll stop and i don't think giving it a value judgment has any uh benefit maybe for tamara um i'm just just assuming you played a role in in creating the choreography like what how do you create links between what was on the floor and movement like, how do you begin to to deal with that? <laughs> I think I think one of the things we thought about was a kind of like a trajectory, um, like a kind of starting from this relationship, which is very familiar of um, hands touching wires, making having an effect. So it's in a way, it's just one step removed from almost like a laptop gig. We always thought that the the start of the show was a bit like two dudes with laptops. Um, yeah. Forgive me for presuming saying dudes, but um, usually, yeah, usually <laughs> dudes, right? Um, and uh, and and I think the thing that I always find a little bit boring about that kind of mode is that the is that the relationship between what the person's doing and what you're hearing is really not. Um, you don't have a really very clear sense of it. And that's what I really loved from the start of with this with the tape was it was it was more like an acoustic instrument in that you could see this relationship between the quality of touch and and the effect. Um, so we kind of started off just wanting that really simple to establish that really simple relationship, um, and then in a way we just wanted to that to kind of unfold so that it would increasingly take up more of the space and our bodies would be able to interact in different ways with it so you know we moved from our hands then to our feet and then we were on the floor and then eventually we were kind of moving around the space so in a way it was like a kind of spatial progression of um 
you know, unfolding. And, and in fact, the instrument became also, you know, it was very much on and on off at the start. And then by the end, it was more kind of triggers that would set in loops that would then self-sustain. Um, so oh, that's really cool. So to to kind of like, you know, I guess that back and forth between the choreography and designing the instrument, were you ever like, or did it work this way where you were like, oh, okay, in the middle of the show, I want us to like have to run across the stage to trigger a thing. Therefore, we're going to have to put that thing on the opposite side of the stage. Like, uh, yeah, kind of. The, as, like as Alistair was saying earlier, we, we kind of went, um, uh, we went, oh, this would be a cool thing if we could, you know, what if we can run across it and, it and every time we touch it, it sets in sets a new loop going. So mm -hmm. and then so we knew that there was one point where we wanted to be able to run around and for sound to keep going, and not mm -hmm. to stop as soon as we went left it. So that then started to determine where we would put it in the space. So it kind of, as Alistair was saying before, those ideas, we'd have one idea and then we'd build it or we'd build it and then and play with it and start to see how we'd work with it spatially. So they kept on evolving in, in tandem. Do you think about, like, you know, because it's also part installation, how other people would come up and learn to play the instrument you know like how how would someone else learn to play this instrument there's a really funny thing when you make work that is developing new technology where there is a sense of like um ownership that people have over technology especially new technology um but like any artwork um i don't really didn't really create it for anything except for the piece and i see it as part of the piece and i, I feel like the same it's weird that we wouldn't pose the same question about any other material in the work because the instrument is just material of the work. So I don't know, we don't feel the same way about the stools that we use or the target that we use or the words that we say, but somehow the technology, I don't know, there's this weird thing that, yeah. Um, so I, I don't see the technology as an expression that exists outside of the framework of the piece. Um, it's made mm. specifically for the work. Um, so I don't kind of have an interest or uh, um wouldn't see the point in, in in sort of extracting a major component to a work and then just leaving the rest away. I feel like that'd be very destructive to the to the creative process that we went through. <laughs> but I would say that we get asked that a lot, and because it, it clearly people go, "Whoa, that looks like that'd be fun," you know. I so know. I think that, I think that that's that stuff like this is there's a huge um, pool of people online who will. Um, answer almost any question you have about building this kind of technology, and it's not very complicated, really. Um, you know, it's it's measuring the resistance of human skin, and then just you know using a chip to with an ADC to convert that into a digital number and send it via MIDI, you know, to a computer. Like it's not it's not a huge task to figure out on your own and build your own. Um, yeah. Well, where can um Thanks so much for coming on the show and it's, you know, something that's really up up our alleys, you know, being really playful with technology and just making it do whatever we want it to do. Um, how can people keep in touch with both of your works and, and will we be able to experience the show in the future? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> hope so. We're working, we'll work on that. Um, and, you know, Alistair's got a great website, 
go and check it out. Awesome. <laughs> check it out. And uh, Chambermaid, you know, sign up to our newsletter and uh, we'll let you know of upcoming works. Chambermaid.org. Fantastic. Yeah, guys, thank you very much for your time. Um, we've been speaking with Alistair McIndoe and Tim Sawick. Triple R. We are now joined uh, in the uh, warm embrace of the uh, the Skype in the studio by uh, Ajay Uni from Stickman Cyber. Um, Ajay has over 30 years uh, IT uh, industry experience and um, spent 15 of that uh, as a cybersecurity specialist um, where he founded uh, Stickman Cyber. And I guess just to uh, bang his drum because... Um, it always feels nice. Um, he was selected to join the 2020 New South Wales Government Cybersecurity Task Force, which is, um, I guess, curating um, the adoption of industry standards for cybersecurity across Australia. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, it's fair he's got a point of view uh, on this topic. Um, AJ, we're going to talk about uh, the digital um, certificates uh, related to vaccination. Um, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So it's um, a brave new world uh, in, in 2021 where we are going to be walking around with these, um, uh, um, I guess, tokens to say that we are vaccinated or we're not or we can go to this country or we can't. But um, you have some concerns about, uh, I guess, how quickly this technology is being rolled out. Um, what, what are some of the problems that you see? Yeah, so two major concerns. One, there was... a. Uh uh, security vulnerability on the COVID uh, certificate, which you can download as a PDF. Uh, the security vulnerability essentially allows you to download a PDF and change the name uh, on the PDF. So basically, I can download a PDF of mine and then go into PDF edit and change my name to, let's say, your name, right? Uh, my 10-year-old can edit PDF, so uh, that is a definitely a big concern. And uh, secondly, there is um, uh, a lot of fake certificates uh, going around uh, the uh, black market, uh, selling between $200 and $500 uh, in the black market, uh, the COVID uh, passport or digital certificate, as they say. Yeah. It kind of sounds like the, uh, the old days of MySpace with people walking around with these fancy kind of COVID vaccination certificates with, uh, you know, just a, a bit of maybe space effect. Um, you're not really in the scarpery, but you can't see Maze's background at the moment. But you kind of imagine that in, in, in sort of regular times, this kind of process would take a year or two to kind of bed down and for businesses to recognise what a certificate looks like and for, you know, um, weeding out some of these security flaws. Um, how can we avoid some of these kind of obvious things um, clutching it up? What, what would you suggest? Yeah, so so I think, you know, if you look at maturity of any system, right? So today when I, if, if I'm underage, I have to show an age card. Or if, you know, we have other identification such as, you know, passports and driver's license, which people are aware and how it looks and so on and so forth. But if, you, if there's a legal requirement for you to use that, there has to be a, a counter check. Like when you, when you fly out of the country, your passport is checked for authenticity at the check-in counters and at the immigration, right? So similarly with COVID vaccination certificates, if there's no way to validate whether this is a true certificate, 
people who don't have that will try and fake it and get into pubs and restaurants and you know if god forbid they're carrying covid uh, virus with them they're going to spread it right so uh, one step i think the government should take like how new south wales has the new south wales uh, uh, service to south wales app where you have a qr code you log in through the qr code and you register that you're entering this location uh, i think all the all state and federal government should work together to ensure that there's some way to validate whether the person showing the certificate is valid or not if that's what they're going to do in terms of restricting people entering in different establishments uh mace you were asking a question there but you're on mute bloody <laughs> <laughs> that was um my first thought also was you know we have these existing state run um uh check in with with those with those patterns and everything and you know is that what's being used overseas or you know do you is that do you think that that should be federally run or maybe just hook into the existing um state apps <laughs> that's a tough question it's coming to uh, integration between federal digital systems and state ones um, obviously new south wales has a good has had a good run with their service new south wales app for people to log in and log out i don't know how successful that's been in brisbane and and, and victoria because i've been in to brisbane last uh, earlier this year when the lockdown was not there and i i found it quite difficult to you know register myself to enter a establishment or restaurant uh, for a meal because their their systems are different uh, so it comes down to you know you know obviously state wants to have you know their sets of controls in place but uh, either way i think there has to be collaboration between federal and state to ensure that there's a seamless process to be able to do this uh, aj with, with that in mind i i guess considering the various bungles in um rolling out countrywide technological solutions to things i'm thinking of census and the tax office how it used to be is the government up to the task of actually making a uh, or the federal government i guess up to the task of of making a system whereby we can validate our covid um i suppose vaccination status without it being hacked into or um is is it possibly a bridge too far at this stage do we need to upskill the government for we can trust them to do that kind of thing again well <laughs> that's a million dollar question because uh are governments really ready to take this on i would think yes but when it comes to security privacy inclusion they're quite far behind right the, my biggest concern and i say this in most of my interviews is that you know we're building a world which is going to heavily rely on digital technologies and we're still building digital technologies which are insecure lack of privacy lack of inclusion when i say inclusion it has to include you know people with you know uh, hearing impaired and you know uh, uh, the other disabilities what what people would have in terms of accessing applications we are far behind in the in that game right just imagine if if there are you know 10 new car manufacturers and they put cars out on the on the on the roads without any proper certification and security measures and tests and balances they wouldn't do that in today 20 years ago you know 30 years ago you could build cars without seat belts it was fine 
it's not no more accepted so my stand is that they we have to build bring in stringent rules around security privacy and inclusion only then will we be able to make digital accessible and secure and safe for not just our country but across the globe mm. there was recent news in the uk that they've actually just decided to ditch the um covid passports um to get into venues and things you know do you think that something similar might happen here where it's just seen as all too hard uh, see i feel as australians in and uh, and as australia we're very risk averse you know our mindset is very risk averse to take any kind of risk mm-hmm. like when you know even with the whole covid we've shut down our borders for a number of months now right you know that, that risk averse mm-hmm. culture will only drive us to be more careful and more careful and you know i i at least i don't see that happening you know that easily right you know with with a short number of cases we locked down complete states uh, and that's the that's that's the mindset that's how we like to operate right and you know i can't imagine they'll just ditch it overnight right unless there's obviously going to be a severe security flaw then they'll find or find an alternate mechanism or they'll ask us to continue to do that mm. i suppose you know with other countries and their own passport systems um will whatever solution is made here i suppose we'll have to scale to to deal with cross country borders correct correct and there are other types of vaccinations available they may also have to be recognized so let's say an australian citizen stuck in another country gets a different kind of vaccination how is his or her uh, you know information going to be aligned with the australian vaccination certificate because if he or she gets the certificate from that other country test and he's actually an australian citizen in transit stuck somewhere and now finally arrives here fully vaccinated how are we going to recognize that so there's going to be a lot of interoperability challenges too right uh, in terms of ensuring we recognize other country certificates not for our own citizens and their citizens and our certificates being recognized by them like how you know we figured out the whole passport system of you know travel it's like the systems are there now it's a new requirement you know i think they i sometimes feel you know governments and countries take steps to go build all these different technologies rather than trying to embark on existing technologies and see what can be enhanced right yeah, that's one way to probably solve the wheel correct sometimes we end up trying to be too smart and try reinventing the wheel and then run into other kind of challenges and problems like today mm-hmm. like you know there are so many ideas right right from medicare to like even in just i live in new south wales so even in new south wales to do anything there's so many different forms right and we claim to be ahead in the digital game that's all great but where is security privacy and inclusion being being considered um aj if people are concerned about this or or just want some more information about um how the certificates are going to uh, roll out wh- where should they go um do you even do you publish anything in your newsletter through through stigma and cyber um So Stickman Cyber helps businesses with cybersecurity it's not for individuals right so with individuals i would recommend them to go to the you know government published websites do not click on links for emails 
or phone calls saying, please dial this number to get your certificate. There are a number of scams going on in this space. I do write some blogs on my LinkedIn post uh, about such matters. So people are free to, you know, follow or connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, we do mention about such matters and concerns on our website for individuals, but in general, our business is to help other businesses with uh, cybersecurity challenges. AJ, we'd be very happy to pick up you on LinkedIn. We'll do that on the uh, uh, on the Twitter afterwards. But um, that was uh, AJ Uni from uh, Stickbird Cyber talking about uh, vaccination certificates. Um, we have got just, uh, just a couple of announcements that are coming up. Maze, what are you uh, what are you announcing? Um, so it's sent in by a listener, so we've got to say this one. Um, Software Freedom Day is coming up um, this Saturday um, uh, run by Linux Users Victoria. So go to softwarefreedomday.org.au. Thank you for sending that one in. We love community. Um, and then a couple of other ones for Melbourne International Games Week coming up in October. Free Place Parallels has just been announced, including some awesome merch. Get some matching tea towels with your triple R tea towels. They go very well together. And also High Score is the beautiful music conference coming up both in October. I'd like to thank our guests Tamara and Alastair uh, for joining us on the show tonight. Um, also, thank you to AJ. Uh, you've been listening to Bite Into It with Dan, Mays and Warren. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.